Hello, and welcome to the Alt Left. Welcome back, everyone, to the Alt Left. This is episode 73. Uh, we've got a juicy one for you. Uh, I am always your host, Chris. With me is the good Reverend Dr. K. Good evening, everyone. Matthew Jumbo Johnson. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. And a special guest, a guy named Justin. Yes, what's going on? Thanks, guys. Yeah, we saw this guy hanging outside. Like, he was just sitting there wearing some weird shirts that said, like, ACAB and crap. And we're like, hey, why don't, we, why don't you come talk to us, dude? We got <laughs> some audience members that might like to hear your story. So Justin is uh, an avid Twitter. Uh, he is also the host and owner of the Price of Avocado Toast podcast. Uh, and so if you're looking for some good millennial financial advice from someone who has fucked up and done good stuff, uh, check out at Price of Avocado Toast on Instagram. You can find him on Twitter. And of course, we'll have plugs and links for him from at the end. But most importantly, Justin used to be a cop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, and I hate to say one of the good ones, but <laughs> yeah, special shout. Let's just do it in the beginning. Shout out to our boy Stoffy because Stoffy tagged us in a in a Twitter string um, from Justin, which was, and we'll let him tell the full story. But it's basically the story of how he went to become a cop, did it, and was like, I can't fucking do this. I have a conscience. And decided to quit and become a teacher. And he did it for all the right reasons. So yeah. like and, and so Stoffy tagged us in it and I literally shot a message I'm like, dude, you gotta come on this show. And he was like, Okay. And I was like, I was way too easy. Like so <laughs> uh, Justin either works for the FBI uh, or he's just a good dude. Um, I'll let you know in about an hour. But uh, <laughs> or, or, or there's you, a sudden or knocking in 20 minutes. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm already on the list. But Justin, tell us about you, because, again, I know your story starts with just a guy in a small town who was just trying to help people and do all the right things. Like, where does it take off from there? Yeah, well, first, let me say thank you to you guys for having me on. Um, oh. I was not expecting the Twitter thread to explode as it did. I thought I was just kind of like tweeting into the void and it kind of exploded. I've been on Twitter for like five years uh, since I left policing in 2017 and I haven't really ever shared the story. So I was like, fuck it, I'll do it after the week we've had. And it exploded. So I'm, I'm glad it you know led me to your guys' podcast. My story was that I was in college and was pursuing a bachelor's degree in criminology. I thought I wanted to go into juvenile probation work. And I was an intern at the juvenile probation department in the county I was living in uh, for about three years. And I was really invested and like super thought I was gonna be able to make a difference. And I have a friend who was like, hey, uh, you'd actually be really good in law enforcement. And being in a criminology program, there are a lot of you know folks in there who wanted to be cops and a lot of educators who were former cops. And I was like, okay, cool. I think I should do that. So I graduated and um, took all the tests and whatnot and applied for a department to put me through the academy. And uh, after a couple you know, months of backgrounds and polygraph exam and all of that fun stuff, I got into the academy. Uh, it started April 10th of 2017 and went through the uh, five-month academy. So 800 hours stretched out over about 20 weeks. The last week is kind of like your wrap up of scenarios and not a ton, you know, more of the pomp and circumstance type stuff. So really like 19 weeks of learning and then the one week of, you know, celebratory stuff and then uh, graduated, had the weekend and got into the department 
And uh, after about 10 days, I decided this fucking sucks and I don't <laughs> want to become this. So I, uh, I left. And there's obviously a ton of, um, you know, incidents throughout the academy and through even just those 10 days that have been uh, wildly eye-opening. And if you guys want, I can just run them down straight from the start. Well, it's kind of, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll, let's take it a piece at a time because, like, I want to hear about academy. I also want to hear yeah. about your 10 days as a, as, a, as, a, as a new guy. And then I also, I really want to hear the story of how the resignation went down. Yeah, oh, that's what I'm really curious God. about is, yeah. like, how did that happen? Yeah, so with the Academy, obviously you show up and you're like, fuck yeah, gun badge, I'm going to save babies out of burning trees, it's going to be dope, I'm going to do it, fuck yeah, I'm going to be a big hero. And then, like, what was the first time where you were like, the, the first thing that kind of like rang first an alarm red bell? Flag. This is going to be really funny, you guys. The first red flag was actually day one. And it's not a, oh, huge, shit. Not <laughs> a huge red flag, well, but I realized... Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I realized, oh, there's that's kind of weird. So we all show up day one of the academy, and um, I, you know, actually, actually, even before that, during the interview process, in an interview with a commander and a sergeant, you know, they're asking like the standard seven questions that they give to every recruit that's going through the process. And one of the questions was like, you show up on a bar scene, and a guy is trying to fight you. What are you going to do? And I remember thinking in my head, like, what's the answer that they want to hear? And you're <laughs> so like stuck in that mode of like, I'm going to, you know, do whatever it takes. And they're like, okay, what about if he has a knife? And I remember saying to them, like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to go home safely. And they were like, that's not a good enough answer. What are you going to do if somebody's coming at you with a knife? And I was essentially said, like, I'm going to shoot him. And I remember like going home and being like, fuck, that feels super gross. Like that doesn't feel very good. Even though I, I, I get the danger inherent in somebody attacking you with a knife, it didn't feel good coming out of my mouth. So that was probably the first thing. But uh, day one of the academy, the director of the academy says, hey, new recruits, good morning. Hope y'all are doing good. And I was the only one who was like, good morning. And he was like, I like you. You're smiling already. And I was kind of like, oh, okay. About five minutes later, he's talking to us a little longer. And he goes, by the way, does anybody know my name? And me, being a fucking you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed recruit, I raise my hand and I say his first name out loud. I'm like, yeah, your, your name is this. I've, you know, I've read it and all the packets I've gotten. And all of the like recruit training officers just start howling laughter. And uh, the director's like, actually, that's not my name. My name is director so-and-so. And he was like, don't ever call me that again. So I was kind of like, oh, okay. Like we, this is very like pseudo department. Like they like want you to immediately. Yes, immediately. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to put it. And so it was, that was probably like the first thing of like, oh, we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. Like this is, this is intense. Um, and then there was just times throughout the Academy that really struck me as moments where I was super questioning it. I'll tell you guys the big one. We have scenarios that you have to complete for California's uh, training. And there's about, I think, 10 of them. And one of them is an ethics test. And so they tell you that from the jump, like, hey, you're going to have an ethics test. And so you're always thinking, when's the ethics test coming? When's the ethics test coming? How does anybody pass it in this group? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I get um, on scenario night, called out to a scenario where I have to make a DUI stop. And the woman that's portraying the driver is an older woman. And I handcuff her and put her in the back of the cop car I'm driving. And the facilitator says, okay, you can get her out now. 
And I said, oh, like, I just want to, I want to go clear her car for, you know, booze or any evidence or anything. He goes, no, get her out of the car. And I was like, well, I'm just going to go up and do the rest of the scenario. And he looks at me and he's like, I'm telling you, kid, get her out of the car. And so I'm like, oh, okay, this is kind of weird. And so I open the door to get her out and he calls our scenario director over and says, this kid wasn't listening to me. He's doing all this stuff. He, he wouldn't get this old woman out of the car. And the scenario director comes over and he goes, hey, what's going on? And I said, oh, I just, I thought I had to go clear the car for evidence. So I didn't want to get her out of the car before I was done with that. I thought we were still in the scenario thinking that it was like an ethics thing. Like they were going to like mm-hmm. say, hey, you, you just don't have to let her get the DUI. And so I explained that. I was like, I thought this might've been the ethics test. So I just kept her in there. And he goes, oh no, no, this one isn't your ethics test. So I said, oh, okay, cool. My bad. And we're driving back to the staging area and the, the facilitator is like, if you act like that again, you're not going to make it in this profession. And I was like, oh, that, that feels kind of gross. But you know, I did the like, good boy, like, yes, sir. And I go and I'm in the staging room and I get called to the next call. And it's a felony traffic stop. So it's going to be me leading the vehicle with two other vehicles uh, riding with me. And we go through the stop and I have this officer uh, next to me. And uh, I don't, I, I, I will never forget this guy's name. I don't have a problem saying his name. His name's Officer Man. Uh, I, I hope nothing of course, but bad of course luck it is. Hold on. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> man. Is Officer Man. Yeah. Let, let's just be clear. Like that, uh, there was not going to ever be a scenario where that wasn't his fucking name. <laughs> All right. So tell me, tell me what you and the man did. Yeah, me and the man. So we're driving to the the scenario. We stop and we do the whole felony car stop thing. You know, driver, get out, hands up, all this goofy shit. And um, we, I send the two others up to go clear the vehicle, and there was somebody hiding in the back seat. In this scenario, you're supposed to like call them out a bunch. And then after a while, you can send the two up. So after about two minutes, I sent them up and somebody's in the back seat. So they come back to the vehicle. I do the whole passenger. I know you're in there. You need to come back. Passenger gets out and starts walking back. And officer man turns to me and says again, hey, we're done. And I was like, oh, no, I want to get him all the way back here. We're going to cuff him and put him in the car. And uh, I'm on the driver's side door with my cute little blue gun pointed at the vehicle. And he's next to me. And he's like, no, we are done. Or he didn't even say done. He said something like, uh, you're finished. And I was like, I, I want to wait till he gets back. And he like grabs the gun and like looks at me and starts like shaking my hands and like gets inches from my face. And he's like, you're fucking done. You're like laser focused. I can't remember exactly what he said. I was like, holy shit. He's like inches from my face. Like you're laser focused. You're fucking done. And I was like, whoa, can we get director so-and-so over? And it was the, you know, it was the director coming over again, scenario director. Mm -hmm. And I explained what happened. And the scenario director goes, do you have diabetes or something? Like, did you not eat sugar? Is everything okay? And I'm like, yeah, like I'm totally fine. I thought again, this was the ethics scenario. And so I don't know how we're supposed to finish these scenarios. And the, uh, the director's like, okay, well, you know, just listen to the people that are there with you. And I'm like, I, I have no, I'm just trying to like survive the academy, dude. I have no clue what's going on. So we get back in the vehicle. The officer's super mad at me. He's like, I don't want to fucking talk to you. And, uh, and we get back to the staging area. And that's when he said, he was like, you, you're not, it was a different guy at this time, but he said the same thing. He's like, you're not going to make it in this profession if you don't listen to people when they're talking to you. And uh, I was like, oh, like, okay. That night, I, I finished up scenarios. Um, I called my commander at the department the next day and like explained everything that happened. And eventually, um, I didn't have to redo any of those scenarios, but they just didn't have those two 
scenario facilitators with me again. Actually, they had one of them with me again, which I was surprised about. And uh, he failed me the next time I had a scenario. And that's the one that I wrote about that I had mm-hmm. to do again, the domestic violence one. Um, but that was like the first moment of like, oh, fuck, like I do not want to be like these guys. And that was about 10 weeks in. Uh, or no, that might have been a little bit, maybe like 12 weeks in, I think his first scenario day. So that was like the first moment, really. So what was the deal? Did you like mess up and they were just saying, okay, you messed up, you're done? Or like, like this is where I'm confused. Like, I'm with you. Like, what the fuck is going on? Like, all of a sudden, did you just, like, did you hit hit your finger on the trigger? Did you step wrong? Like, what was the yeah, deal? Yeah, this sounds super confusing. Like, I can't figure out where you misstepped either. Yeah, no, I didn't misstep. They just wanted to end the scenario. They just didn't want to wait out there anymore. Because it was hot, I guess. Oh, so, so they just wanted they to were move finished. on to the fact that they you legit, were still doing your job. Yeah. They were like, fuck you for making us stay out here five more seconds. Got it. Yeah. And so, so, so wait a minute. All, oh, they sorry, do- all they had to do was be like, okay, that's the end of the scenario. Let's finish, finish up. Yes. Yeah. Like, and so like, they literally. Did that. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. Tell me you've never been arrested without telling me you've never been arrested before, Matt. <laughs> you, you have you have clearly right. never been on the wrong end of a cop before. If that's like, dude, you have no idea like what what, what Justin's talking about is exactly what it feels like to be someone who's been arrested because like it's a universal attitude. You are barked something and you do not get a chance to ask what that means. And if you don't understand it, it does not matter. You are barked a sentence. And if you didn't comprehend what he said, misunderstood something, don't speak the language, like whatever the next step is violence. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm a middle-class straight white male. Yes. I've never had an interaction with cops before. So am I, but I've been arrested four times. <laughs> yeah, but you're also a filthy commie and nobody likes you. Fair. <laughs> um, but yeah, like that's a good red flag. And again, I yeah. think that's kind of telling of no wonder you fucking left. Like, cause, because that kind of mentality of like, I will bark to what I am told. And if if I am not understanding something that is said to me strangely that I'm not expecting to hear and I can't comply with something I don't understand and being met with anger at that is confusing. Yeah. That, that makes you not a cop because like that is kind of that mentality is I will issue an order. And if you don't understand it, that sucks to be you. You're going to have less teeth. Yeah. And they, they eventually ended up changing the language to where all the facilitators just how it had to now say like, okay, scenario over. So recruits yeah. knew like, oh, okay. Because the, the ethics test was at the next scenario and it is like wildly obvious. Like there's a sergeant who's like, I'm going to beat the shit out of this drunk chick. And you're like, okay, like I'll finish the call champ. Uh, like, <laughs> so the ethics test is like very obvious. Uh, but yeah, they, they ended up changing it. to, to They so, changed so the language recruit. because of your interactions? Yes, I forever have changed it. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. I don't know. Maybe something good came out of it, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Who knows? For the for the next human being that's like, I just want to do good. <laughs> yeah, they're becoming a cop. No, they don't. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of good people who, um, again, I, I don't believe that everyone who joins the police is there for the wrong reason. I believe a majority of people who join the police force are there for the wrong reason. Justin, I'm sure you can attest to this. Like, there is a demographic of, like, washed up football guy from high school who was a solid C or D student who literally has nothing else going for him. And it's like, oh, this could be a career that buys me a house. And, you know, my daddy didn't love me enough. I guess I'll go beat some people up who are a different color than me. Like, that is definitely a large demographic. But I don't believe it's everyone. And I believe, like, you know, for every 10 fucking chodes, there's a Justin out there. You know, I think for, for me personally, and again, like, I'm I'm curious to hear what Justin feels about this. But, like, I tend to, I tend to think that one of the reasons we have so many chuds in 
uh, the PDs is because not only is it a majority of people who join your chuds, but then like, well, once you're thrown into a, a fucking giant bowl of guacamole, everything tastes like guacamole. You know, it's like at a certain point, mm-hmm. it's like conform or die. I mean, is that is that your read on that? Like, is that is that how you felt? Yeah, one thousand percent. And I still have guys. Um, I have one in particular that I still talk to from the academy who's still in law enforcement, and I worry about him daily because he was just like me going in and I don't get to talk to him much about it. And I only get to see him, you know, maybe once a month or once every few months, but I've heard conversations that his wife has had with my wife. And I think like, Oh damn, like this may not be going down the right path. And that's, that's worrisome. I do worry about that, but I think that you're right. That the majority of them are guys who have some type of complex and some, some type of feelings and they are, entranced by that that like opportunity and it's well it's and scary. like if you feel powerless and kind of shitty and small in your life like regardless of where that comes from like it doesn't matter if that comes from like a poverty background a parental issue background like just uh, your third grade teacher is a piece of shit and beat the crap out of you every day like whatever it is like whatever has made you feel out of control and insecure like yeah there's got to be a huge allure of like here's a gun and a badge and you get to be you get to decide who goes home tomorrow like yeah that's there's got to be a rush to that that really appeals to someone who feels out of control in their own life. Yeah, and I I mean, I don't want to like toot my own horn or anything, but I had a relatively like good school experience. I had a relatively decent upbringing. I have a twin brother, so nobody ever picked on me cuz there was two of us. Like we got along <laughs> with everybody. Like I didn't have all of those like shitty feelings. So I truly was like I'm just kind of a square and I want to go into policing to like help people out if I can. Um, but yeah, that's not, that's not the feeling for most. It's funny you mentioned football players. Cause I remember the guy who did like the best in our Academy, um, fitness wise, he was like a former, like, you know, all state, like running back. And <laughs> he's like doing pull-ups, like bragging that he's like, you know, the school, you know, rushing record holder and stuff. And you're like, Oh, that, that tracks. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> Al- like, I know why you're here. Yeah. yeah like, like seriously, like Al Bundy should have been a cop, not a shoe salesman. Like that kind of feels like, <laughs> yep. All right. So let's, let, let's fast forward. So is, now, is that the most like eye opening part of the Academy or was there anything else that like really like was a light bulb? Uh, there were other times in the Academy that were definitely a light bulb. You know, we had, um, instructors that said things about different calls they went to and, the responses to those and some of the ways they would brag about stuff. You guys saw on my thread talking about the milk crate, that same scenario director was a chief of police that was retiring that year. They actually celebrated him at our graduation for retiring. And uh, he bragged about how having a milk crate can be a misdemeanor because back in the day, you know, milkmen had these milk crates and people would take them and eventually became a crime. And so he would brag about how he could, stop transients because they would usually have a milk crate on them. And then he had probable cause to stop them for that crime and then could kind of do research for more. And, um, I remember hearing that and being like a fucking milk crate, man. Like I remember, you know, my elementary school had milk crates to carry stuff. Like, what are we doing? Is that really what we think is like the best thing to be doing here? Um, and then there's the obvious other stuff, the scenarios where you're clearing a home and there's you know people jacked up to pull out their fake blue guns or the shooting range and guys getting all excited to live fire and stuff and brag about how great of shooters they were and i i had never shot guns before that and i actually really liked that part of the academy like shooting somebody else's ammunition that you didn't have to spend money on was really cool 
for five yeah. hours, four hours a day. Like it was yeah. pretty rad. Shooting guns is fun, man. Yeah, yeah especially really when it's somebody else's ammo. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Last time we went shooting, I shot Chris's uh, AK. It was, and he paid for the ammo himself. It was awesome. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. But I, I remember, you know, like thinking to myself, like, there's a very clear reasoning why guys are celebrating this. And it's not because they're like, oh, I'm, I'm a really good target shooter. This is a really fun hobby for me when I go camping or hunting or something like that. It, it was if it just felt dirty and it wasn't guns, something that I was OK with. Say again. You know, guns give people a feeling of power. And if you have felt powerless your entire life and downtrodden and hated and unpopular and all of those things or that mommy and daddy didn't love you enough to hold a gun and have that power in your hand is alluring as hell to people like that. It, hey, it, hey, it, me and my goes, very <laughs> mediocre penis resent no, no, that. But it, it goes way past <laughs> the enjoyment of shooting. And it's it's the feeling that you get physically holding it in your hand. Yes. Like there, it's a very different thing. And I, I understand exactly what you're talking about because I've heard that uh, a lot that, you know, it's they, they get all jacked up about like just going to the range. It's like, oh, yeah, we get to go shoot. You know, yeah. it's like it's like a reward almost. It's different strokes for different folks, too, because like, you know, there's people who pick up guns and have insane anxiety and all yeah, of that. And absolutely. I think, I think like kind of to your point, there is like, yeah, like it totally makes sense that like it would attract the crowd of man. I can't wait to blow the melon out of someone. Yeah. yeah. Thousand percent. It, it's, it's that weird trophy thing where you're like Burt Gummer from, from Graboids, like gung ho. Like anytime you get around a gun, you just start sporting wood. You know, it's like, you can tell the difference like between people that are hobbyists or just enjoy shooting like targets or hunting or all that stuff. The way they talk about guns versus the people that literally are itching to shoot someone it's different. Even if they use the exact same words, you can tell like there's a gleam in their eye when those there's people are excited. Yeah, yeah, very much so. All right. So you you get out of the academy, spit shined and, you know, ready to rock and roll. Now, at this point, how are you feeling? Because like, you you know, again, you haven't resigned. So clearly, like you're still thinking like I'm assuming like clearly you weren't like thinking I'm out by this point. You were kind of like, I didn't like those guys, but whatever, because now you're about to be your own man kind of thing. Like gonna give how it the old college f- try. Yeah. So so how were you feeling in that that weird limbo period of graduating the academy and starting your first day? Like that in-between period, like where were you at? Mentally? That's it that's exactly how I was feeling. I uh I graduated the academy and I won an award. Uh, it was called the four way like Rotarian Award, and it was basically an ethics and and moral award that I got voted on by my other recruits. And essentially, I, I remember once I got the award, I was like, oh, that's that thing we did where we had to like write somebody down that exemplified like these four categories. And uh, I remember doing like thinking back and being like, oh, yeah, this is like the, the nice guy award, like the good guy award. And getting that on the day of the academy, I had no clue it was coming. Like the chief of the department that I was going to go work for was there, like, you know, bars and stars all done up to present it to me and stuff and brag on me. Um, and I, I was like, oh, shit, like, I, I actually can do this. Like I, this is, this is going to be okay because I'm being applauded for my ethics. I'm being applauded for being a good guy. So it must mean that there's something inherently okay about me. And, uh, yeah, it gave me kind of that, like kick in the pants to be like, I'm going to give it the college try. If get into the department, get away from the, the stress of the Academy 
and the you know the the guys that were there that weren't going to be in the department I was in because we had training officers from you know all different types of apartment or departments and uh, it felt like I'm going to give this a shot. I mean, I remember the stress of the academy. I, there was one night I got home and I had to shine my boots, and I was uh, I wasn't in, in, engaged here yet, but I was living with my girlfriend, uh, my girlfriend at the time, my wife now. But she was like came in to bother me in the bathroom like ten minutes after I got home, and she's like, "Have you shined your boots yet?" And I remember turning to her and being like, does it look like I fucking shined my boots yet? I just got home. And she like stared at me and walked away. And I remember saying that and pausing and being like, what, like, what did I just say? Who is that guy? And I went and like sat on the bed and like, I remember looking up at her and being like, I am so remarkably sorry that that's the way I spoke to you. Like I, 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 I could feel the stress of the academy. And so finally having the academy done, it felt like, oh, this is just all academy stress. This is just all the nervousness of like, don't fail, don't get kicked out. Because I was getting paid to go through. This was my job. This is how I was supporting my household other than my wife's work. So I'm thinking like, just pass, don't, just don't fail. And so once you have that stress gone, you're like, oh, we're money. Like I'm, I'm good now. I can just go in and and pass, you know, FTO programs and, and we're set and I'm going to retire out in 30 years. Um, and so, yeah, I took that weekend to kind of be like, all right, it's time to rock and roll. Like we're cowboys from here on out. When, when did shit go downhill? Was it day one or was it like, no, the first couple of days, everyone was like patting me on the ass and telling me I was a good boy. But like day five is when shit where I got real or like. Yeah, it's I'll go through the 10 days step by step because it was. All right, let's do it, man. Let's go. Here we go. I I graduated August 25th. Uh, 26th and 27th is the weekend. August 28th, we get sworn in Monday morning. First thing in the morning, get sworn in. And then we now, immediately. Real quick, real quick. Yeah. You, what, what year was this? Is this like 20? Again, did you have your details so clear? Like, yeah, 2017, baby. There's our Academy photo. You okay, can see I'm the so only it was not long smiling. Ago. <laughs> no, I'm the okay, only one cool. smiling, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so, I mean, okay. So 2017. So yeah, this is only a couple of years ago. Yeah. August 28th, we get sworn in and then we go into defensive tactics. And so that's going to be going through all of the risk controls and handcuffing and fighting and all that stuff you're going to have to do. And we're going through it and I'm like, oh yeah, this is the stuff we did in the academy. And um, we we do like some, some pretty intense physical stuff. Like at one point, one of the biggest sergeants in the department, he was probably 6'4", 270. He basically just puts you on the ground, lays on top of you. And is like, you have a minute to get up and fight your way out of this. And r- immediately afterwards, like I ran to a sink and barfed. Cause I was like, you're fighting for a minute straight. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was intense. We had to do that in the Academy too. We had like people, we had a girl like, you know, like to have some spinal injury from it. It was freaking bananas. It was called sustained resistance. So if there's any ex cops listening, they'll be like, Oh yeah, I remember that shit. That fucking sucked. Uh, <laughs> but day one, we go through that defensive tactics and, the the first thing that caught me off guard was a sergeant who was one of our training officers at the academy who was pretty chill there. He is telling us any action needs to have a violent reaction. If they're going to do something, we're going to do something. And I remember hearing that and being like, holy shit, that's a very real thought of when somebody's like, if they're going to swing on you, the taser's coming out. If they've got a knife, the gun's coming out. And you can justify it using legal code that's been you know challenged all the way to the Supreme Court. And so I remember hearing that and being like, oh shit, this is intense. And then another sergeant comes in and he's not even training us that day. And he goes and tells us, I live in this town with my wife and my kids. And if anything happens to my wife and kids, because you fail to act, I will fucking kill you. 
And I was like looking at him like, okay, like I, I'm a father now. I get the sentiment, but like, that's a pretty heavy thing to say to recruits day one. I mean, no matter what the job, that's yeah. something fucked up to say to an employee. Yeah. yeah. If you fuck up at your job and it costs me, I'm going to murder you. Yeah, well, and, it was. And bananas. more than that, though, like, again, on this show, like, we don't we don't have any illusions about this. But generally speaking, I do believe the public perception of police officers is that they are there to de-escalate a situation. Now, obviously, especially in the last few years, I think that perception is tr- changing. But Massively. like. This, I think, illustrates a point like from day one, you get, I mean, you get out of even in the academy, like you aren't trained to de-escalate, you're trained to escalate because somebody raising their hand to blow their nose might be somebody going to grab a gun to shoot you. So you got to have that gun out first and shoot them. And it's just like, fuck, like it blows me away that it's just so like from from the beginning, it's ingrained that you're trained to escalate. Yep. I mean, the thing is, like, no amount of racism or he's a bad guy or any of that can account for things like Tamir Rice. Like, that is clearly like, you know, a child holding a toy gun is literally shot as the words finish leaving the cop's mouth of freeze and put yeah. your hands up. Like, the kid literally did not have time to react and he was shot. And that doesn't come from like, well, that guy was a jerk or he was a racist or he like he like hurting babies like no like clearly this comes from training and this comes from being told from day one like your life is the most important more than anyone else's and fuck everyone else you're going to be covered legally do whatever the fuck it takes and you feel is right and if you're scared then who cares people are gonna die yep and well we and had- these are the things that you have to do to make it so that any action that you take will be seen as justified yeah that we to had me is, is like the that. key there yeah. yeah, is is here's how to get away with it. Yeah, we had uh we had videos we'd watch in the academy where like they'd you know they'd show us a video and then afterwards they'd say like was that a good shoot? Was that clean? Can you justify that? And you'd have to argue it. And you're like, holy shit! Are you guys familiar with the Andy Lopez shooting? No, what's that one? He hmm. was a a Latino kid who actually lived in the town that I was living in, and he was uh shot and killed. He had a a plastic you know toy gun, and he was outside of school walking uh, at a park and a sheriff's deputy rolled up on him and you know same kind of story i think within 13 seconds uh shot and killed him and uh it was huge huge news it was i think geez it's been a while now it might even be close to like a decade almost um but it was 2013 yeah it was yep. yeah almost a decade yeah it was it was huge news and so in the academy yeah like you're you're taught you know, there was one, one training officer I remember who would like support de-escalation, de-escalation, who was like, that's, that's right. You did that right. Most others were like, Hey, if the scenario ramps up, we're ramping up and we're going to find the way that that is okay. And we're going to train you to understand why or why not. Um, and so, yeah, day one out of, you know, day one in the department, it felt very much so like that. And now that Sergeant who told that to us just got, uh, or just pled guilty in federal court to making extrajudicial stops. He was in an unmarked Recently vehicle. Now? Yeah, he was in an unmarked vehicle okay. driving up 101 uh, and was making stops outside of our jurisdiction and was confiscating drugs and money, him and another officer. Nice. And uh, yeah, he eventually got let go because of that. Originally pled not guilty, then realized he was going to get it. And so he pled guilty recently on federal charges. So good for wow. him, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's one this of those- This is the like, guy that threatened to kill you? Yeah. Yep. 
I mean, I, I would again. I, like, you talk about the Lopez killing. It's like that's just part. I mean, I'm in L.A., so I've got not only the LAPD, which you know likes murdering homeless people, but like we, we've LA got County the LA Sheriff. Sheriff's Department, yeah. which is which is like right up there with like Chicago PD in terms of like the LA County Sheriff's Department is like a fucking criminal organized gang. Yeah. Uh, in fact, yeah. we actually have a movement here of our sheriff uh, won't show his arms because he actually has the L.A. Sheriff's Department gang tattoos, which you get from murdering people. And he won't show his arms. And there's actually this huge hashtag that's been going on for like two years to get him to actually roll up his sleeves. And he won't do it, which I'm sure at this point he's in the process of getting him lasered. Yeah. But yeah, he's 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 part of the fucking murder gang in the sheriff's department, our sheriff. And like, again, I I've, I was at a protest last year where we were protesting the fucking Trump bridge that sails through the country and it came through And the LAPD. I, I helped patch together a, a homeless guy in a wheelchair and the LAPD shot him in the face with a tear gas canister. He was sitting on the curb in a wheelchair. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Man. And they shot it's him in the so fucking gross. face and I was next to him like and we all got fucking gassed like. That's the like it is a militarized force out here. So it's like I don't know, I guess maybe I'm just jaded. Like and maybe that's a really good indication of like, oh, you only had one guy who just got murdered for no good fucking reason for being a, a kid with a gun. Like, I don't know. I guess it's like the school shooting thing. It's like it's it's not even big news anymore. And it's like how fucked up is that? That's like we can't even track how many people are just getting executed. No, yeah. you become um, desensitized to it. Yeah. Because it happens so often, and at some point in time, you feel like uh, there is nothing that you can do to change it. And so, you know, in terms of people every day, like, it happens, you move the fuck on with your life. It's sad, but it happens. It hurts too much to to dwell on it. Mm-hmm. And so I can understand why we feel like, oh, one, one Hispanic kid gets shot, and it's not a big deal. And not to say that it isn't a big deal, but that obviously what you're kind of getting at right yeah that's what i'm getting it like like it, it's a real good like indication of the state of affairs that like man how sad is it that we're that desensitized that like yeah something like this doesn't like anyone an unarmed person, so easily an unarmed person being murdered by law enforcement carelessness should should send every neighborhood into the street and it doesn't anymore and again that's just again kind of and well, again we talk about this. We're talking about white people noticing because, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, us white people have noticed this has been a problem for like a decade. Uh, communities of color have known this for centuries. You know, this isn't new to them at all. But it's just, again, it's it's a state of affair that like even the media can't even give a shit enough. You know, the, the people whose job it is to sensationalize things can't even spend enough time to sensationalize this stuff because it's becoming so rampant with modern technology recording it. Yeah. So, so okay. So anyway, we're, that was that was a tangent. No, but I like, love okay, it. So 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 let's keep going. Yeah. So now you you've been threatened to you've been threatened with being murdered by your boss. And it's yes. the first day. <laughs> first day, and that was pretty cool. We had another guy in there as well, a sergeant who eventually it came out a couple years ago. He was embezzling from the police officers association fund, so he was stealing from his friends. He's no longer a cop there either. So they had real, real winners, winners apparently. Uh, introducing us day one. Yeah, it was really great. So that's day one. Go home, and I'm like, well, that sucked, but that it is what it is. And the next day, day two, this would be August 29th, we are going to the range. So we're going to drive about an hour away to go qualify shoot. So your academy score for shooting doesn't count. You got to go on the actual range with the department, you know, um, firearms instructor and qualify. And 
I was so blessed that I got to ride in the car with that guy. And (laughs) he was a huge dick. And he told me that he thought they should have fired me after my scenario gaff. Um, which I, I get it. Maybe I messed up that day, but I don't think I should have been fired. And then he also told me that he didn't trust me because I didn't listen to veterans and that he would never want to work on a shift with me. And I'm sitting there thinking, dude, we're going to go qualify with our guns. Like we get into any type of shit on the way there and you and I might be in a firefight against somebody together and you're sitting here telling me you don't trust me. Like how fucking safe do I feel? Um, not so at that, all, I'm sure. Not, yeah, not at all. Not at all. We got to the, the range and he was only there for a couple hours, thank God. And then we drove home and qualified and that was it. Uh, day three is our county tour. And this is when shit starts to get pretty gross. Is this like training day kind of shit coming up? <laughs> yeah, kind of. So we're in the car with two scenarios. It's me and two other recruits that were with me who uh, actually have both since left that department as well. One's now a firefighter. The other one's, I think, a community service officer somewhere else. And we're we're driving in a different part of town, because in a different city, actually, because they're showing us where the court and jail is. And a car pulls up to us, and they notice that the two passenger, the driver and the passenger are both transgender. And they make a pretty gross comment about uh, one of them. The one of the passengers seat turns to the driver and said, uh, and part of my use of the language, but said, dude, are those two trannies? And they kind of giggle about it. And the vehicle made an illegal move where they turned right on a red to circumvent the red that we had and like kind of looped back to get on the highway. And yeah. so they pulled them over immediately. They were super excited. I mean, it was five seconds after they notified them or saw them. Like they were pretty excited to pull them over. They go and they run them and they come back to the car and they don't give them a ticket or anything, but they're laughing in the vehicle about how they use the birth assigned pronouns for each of them. So the driver, uh, the female, they were calling dude and man and the passenger, the male, they were calling miss and ma'am. And they were laughing about how funny it was. And I remember thinking like, you went out of your way to stop somebody in a town we don't even work in simply to harass them. Like if you, if you like actually lay it out like that, you're thinking what, like, what the fuck did I just watch? Like, what did I legit just watch? And I remember sitting in the back thinking, this is so gross, so gross. And actually now that I think about it, there was another thing that happened shortly after that. (laughs) Holy shit. I haven't unpacked this one either. You guys sneak peek. My wife doesn't even know this. We, after that, are driving to go get burgers, and we stop at the burger spot, and they're playing music, and I think it was like Billy Joel or something. And I'm singing along, because I'm like, whatever, like this, I'm eating a burger, Fucking and I'm piano man, baby. Billy Joel, yeah. <laughs> and like, I remember, yeah, exactly, like it's just so minor. And I remember them making jokes about like, oh, we found the, like, God, I can't remember what they said. It was something like we found the... It wasn't the word sissy, but it was essentially insinuating that. We found the, the sissy one of the recruits of the three Jesus of us that were there. Jesus Christ, man. Like, you can't even just enjoy music Billy fucking Joel. Billy fucking like, Joel, yeah. Fuck, it's such an alpha male dude bro environment. Like, this is day yeah. two. And it's just like, be a fucking man and fucking make yeah. fun of trannies and fucking don't sing. And rah, testosterone. <laughs> Jesus exactly. fucking Christ, man. Yeah, it was fucking bananas. So that was that was day three. Day four is d- August 30th at this point. No, thir- might have been August 31st. August 31st, yeah. And uh, it's just our tech day. So we just get to meet with the tech analyst. She's a classified position. Like, you know, not, not really anything um, 
super heavy in law enforcement. She just teaches us like the system on the computers. And then we go to the local pound because that's where we're going to take animals for animal control. And we just get to like learn about how they volunteer and stuff and then go home. It was a pretty chill Thursday. And we get a three-day weekend to decompress. And that Saturday, I proposed to my wife. And in my proposal, I'm such a shithead, you know, uh, cop at this point that I literally say to her, these are the exact words. I am going to be fighting crime and fighting bad guys, but that isn't half as scary as not having you in my life forever. And I, we have the video and I watch it back and I'm like, what the, what, who was like, yes, fucking preach brother. Preach. Like, <laughs> it's yeah. It was the goofiest uh, again, shit. Anybody who knows cops will know this though. Like, yeah, I've known cops. I, I, I work with an ex cop. Like, I there there is there is a a curve of behavior of right out of the academy again it, it's it's straight out of fucking Hitler youth man it is you are gung ho all the way you use the lingo it's all you care about and you live breathe and, and everything is about being a cop and then you finally chill out only about ninety percent of your life is that yeah exactly and that's so that's day six technically as a sworn in officer day seven is that Sunday the third. And, uh, you know, obviously don't do anything Monday. We go in and it's taser day and (laughs) we get to go in later in the afternoon because they want us all there at nighttime because we have the voluntary taser opportunity and they make sure to tell us, Hey, even the chief has been tased. So, you know, you don't have to do it, but so you got voluntold voluntold. Exactly. And so we're doing the taser training and the, the sergeant who's training us, He's showing us how to put the cartridge in the taser and his hands are shaking. And he says like, oh, I just haven't had enough coffee yet today. And I'm like, I, that was when I too much first... coffee, bro. Yeah, seriously. He's like holding a Starbucks cup. He's like, I haven't had coffee today. I'm like, that's uh, that's look, we call that a clue. That is not the truth. Uh, and so I remember that was the first part of me thinking, I don't know if I want to do this forever. Like I saw his hands and was like, I don't want to I don't want to have my hands do that seven years from now. Like that's scary. Right. And I was, I was 25 at the time. And so I'm like, I, this is not what I want for my life. And so we do the tasing and, um, you know, they, we've got it all recorded. I'll send it to you guys on Twitter so you can see it. Uh, so I'll send it to you guys in the DMS cause there's faces of officers there. I'm like, I don't know what my rights are in California says the former cop. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I'll send you guys a better, I, I lit, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's funny because they said, uh, if you don't make a sound, we'll buy you the ni- nicest steak dinner in town. So I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I'll just take it and not not you know, say anything. Like your it, lungs aren't sure. going to compress when you get electrocuted. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so they tape the barb. One barb gets taped to your shoulder. One goes in your boot so they don't have to actually pull out the barbs. They just electrical tape it to you. And then they do it, and the whole you know five second ride. I'm just saying, fuck that, over and over. (laughs) (laughs) It's me just going, fuck that, fuck that, fuck that, fuck that. And I watch it now, and I'm like, there's probably some allegory of me being like, this is the state of policing. Fuck that. (laughs) But uh, so that's Monday, the taser. Tuesday is when I start to do ride-alongs with my first field training officer, and the day one, uh, one incident that came up was. I saw a vehicle that had a expired registration sticker and I'm like, Oh, look at me doing good cop work. Here we go. Hey, that guy's got an expired registration. And he says, well, did you see the driver? And I said, yeah, he was a Latino male. 
And he says, okay, let's go check Walmart and then the casino because that's the only place they'll be in this town. And <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, I was like, what? Like, what? Did I really just Apparently hear that? He knows the demographic. Training? I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, like it, it, it shook me. I was Jesus like, that Christ. can't be right. Yeah, it was goofy as shit. And uh, make it through the day. I remember eating lunch alone that day away from all the other officers that were on duty and just feeling like, I, this is not for me. And I go home and I tell my wife, like, this is not going great. And on the way home, I called my twin brother and I was an actor in college. And I told him, man, I feel like I'm just playing cop as a job. And if I can just act my way through it, I'll be okay. I'll be able to survive this profession. If I can just act my way through it. And I, rem- I remember that conversation so vividly because I like I think back to it and I'm like, man, it, it, like my body physiologically already knew this was not right. And uh, I go home, I wake up in the morning and I, I type up a resignation letter. And my grandmother call, like texts me and she says, hey, you know, typically with a job, it's really good to give two weeks notice. And I'm thinking, grandma, I have a gun and badge. They don't want me to stay on for two fucking weeks like if I'm going to be leaving. Uh and so I was like, if the day goes bad, I'm going to, I'm going to quit at 4 PM when I'm done. And the last, it was pretty shitty all day. And the last call of the day was we were going to support some officers who were having some people clean out their vehicle. Cause it was going to get towed. And we showed up and the cops are all laughing. And it was this young couple, probably in their early twenties and they're cleaning out their vehicle on the side of the road, waiting for a tow truck. And one of the uh, officers pulls up his phone and shows us a bunch of messages that he has from Tinder with the young lady that's cleaning out her car. And he's bragging about how good she was in bed and all of this stuff about, you know, like, look at where she's at now and just saying a ton of gross stuff about them as human beings, um, particularly human beings that looking back, were probably using drugs as well. And he just said a bunch of really shitty things. And I remember thinking like, I, I can't, I cannot become this. Like I can't wake up 30 years from now and roll over and like not have my fiance next to me and not have my kids with me because I'm totally a shell of what I am as a human being. And so I went to, I went to my commander at the end of the day and turned everything in and decided to leave. And that was it. Day 10, Wednesday, September 6th of 2017. I'm curious. How did, how did that actually go? Like, yeah, I want to hear the story of how that went down. Yeah. Like you walked in, they were like, Oh, see you later, <laughs> chap. Like I, I I there's no way there wasn't yeah, there wasn't a fucked up conversation there. Yeah, for sure. So I went to I put my stuff in my locker, ev- everything other than my badge. I I left like my service weapon locked up in there and stuff. And I went to one of the commanders that I felt particularly comfortable with. And I said, I gotta I gotta talk. And I closed the door and I said, I'm I'm going to be resigning effective immediately. And he was like, oh my goodness, what's going on? And I explained how I was feeling. And I was like, I just can't see myself doing this long term. And I don't want to lose, um, lose like who I am. And he was like, if anybody else walks through that door and tells me that, I ask for their gun and badge and I tell them to leave. And he said, you're different. So I need to try and persuade you. And he was like, what's going on that's making you feel like this? And I couldn't really articulate it in the moment. I was pretty... Probably fucking nervous. Yeah, I was pretty nervous. And I wasn't as like strong in my my stances of certain things and the ways that I believed in the world. And so I, I kind of 
pass the buck, to be honest. And if, if I could go back, I would have called, I would have called everybody out. I would have put everybody on blast in that moment. Cause I was gone anyways. Right. Like I should have done it. And, uh, I just told him, I, I can't do this. I can't lose who I am and lose my family because this isn't for me. And he said, well, I wish you the best and whatever you do in life, you're going to be successful. And that, wow. he said, that makes me feel a little bit better. I'm shocked. And I, I, I'm telling you, like, I think back to him and he was, he was a commander. So he'd been around a long time and I'm sure he'd done some things that I would not agree with and not be happy with. But in that moment, I will say that he saw me as a human and I appreciated that. Um, and he said, I do want you to go upstairs and tell our other commander who's up there. The chief's not here, but we'll tell him tomorrow. And so I went upstairs to the other commander. And this is that commander who originally asked me the question in the interview, what would you do if you were in a yeah. bar fight? And he said, what's going on? And I explained what's going on. And he said, wait, you're just quitting. You're giving up like that. And I was like, well, yeah, like, I can't do this. It's not what I want to do. It's not who I want to be. And he was like, uh, I think you're making an irrational decision because you're scared. And I was like, what? And he was like, I think you're scared of the job and you're not ready to do it. And that's why you're leaving. And I was like, that's, that's not it. I mean, he, he but here's like, my thing. Like, yeah. let's, let's, let's just pretend he's right. Right. Yeah. Let's just say like, you're terrified of the job and, and you're, what did he say? He, what, wait, what were his words again? He said, you're, you're scared of the job and you're not ready to do it basically. Okay, cool. So let's, let's just say that 100%, this guy's an Oracle, right? He stared into your eyes and he, and he, and he rubbed his fucking chi crystals and he saw into your soul and he was like, yes. He is scared of the job and he is not ready to do it. And that was the absolute fucking like quintessential truth of your soul. And that was accurate in every way. It was an indisputable fact of the universe. That's a really good reason to not do a job. <laughs> like, yeah. If you walk into Burger King yeah. and you're like, I've been here a week and I am terrified of this job and I am not ready to do it. That's a good reason to quit that job. <laughs> like, that, if, yeah. if the job is being a cop and, and that is who you are. The last person I want as a cop is that fucking guy. Yeah, but like, that's what I'm saying. It's like in a job with zero stakes, if your yeah. job is marshmallow fluffer and you are terrified of the job and you are not ready to do it, you should. that is a really good reason to quit. And that is a good yeah. reason to accept a resignation. And now you're telling me the people who are in charge of like quote unquote protecting and serving, which clearly they don't, and pass out guns to dipshits can see that a guy is terrified and doesn't want his guy not cut out or ready to do the job, and they don't want him to leave. It's like, yeah. I, it's 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 like it's fucking insane. Like the, the rationale behind that. It's like clearly he like it was like it was an insult. I mean, again, this kind of again. And now, please jump in and correct me where I'm wrong because I'm making a lot of assumptions here. But this really – it just feels like this is this is the kind of culture I'm fearing is is what's behind the police station doors that we don't know about. It's this – it's almost like a bullying. It's almost like a yes. – this is what we all fucking do. And if you're going to be a little bitch, we're still not going to let you go. But we're going to call you a little bitch and we're going to mock you and fucking berate you into do it into, – into conforming to what we want you to do. 1,000%. But here's the thing. <laughs> I also think that it, they – absolutely took it as a personal attack on them because yes. I mean, you've seen this too, Chris. I mean, we, we, we know cops. It isn't just a job to them. It's not a, even well, just being a cop, like any job, 
Like, again, you, you're a marshmallow fluffer and someone walks in and you're like, dude, this is the cakiest job. I literally hang out and fluff marshmallows and they pay me 80K here. It's dope. And someone's like, this job terrifies me and I'm not ready to cut out to do it. And you're just like, what the fuck is wrong with you, dude? This job is dope. Like, anybody would feel that. But then go ahead. Now, imagine you're a fucking cop who has, like, made this their entire personality, right? Well, that's yeah. just it. Like, there's, I mean, and I'm sure you saw it, but there is a culture, and I've said this before, there is a culture of indoctrination that comes with becoming a cop. Like, the mm-hmm. ones that don't succeed, like yourself, don't want to be indoctrinated into it. Like, that's the thing. And it gets even worse because I do like I've said this before. Like I do believe I know one of them. I'm friends with a cop. I do believe he's a good guy, but I think being a police officer is also especially insidious because even if you are a good cop, let's say you're a cop that you stay in, you never commit a bad crime. You anytime you witness another cop doing it, you try to report them. You try to do the right thing by that. You you do everything you can to work within the system to be the best cop you can be you're going to be ostracized by everyone you work with. You're never going to get a promotion. You're never going to be looked at for leadership. Everyone's going to talk shit about you behind your back because you're not one of them. And here's the worst part. A lot of these guys, they can't fucking quit because where are they going to fucking go where they get the salary and benefits that they've been getting for working as a police officer for 20 fucking years. Like if you went in at 21 years old, you're 41. Like you're, you're not even middle-aged yet. And you've built your life dependent on this salary. If you quit, where the fuck are you going to go? Especially yeah. if you've got a family and wife and kids. So it's like there is this entire, this job is built to either make you adapt or keep you there and being completely ostracized and miserable with no chance of getting out. Yes. Matt, you described literally um, a, a colleague of my wife when she was a teacher, her husband's exact experience. He's a cop in a very, very small town, and he spoke out about some bad things. They wrote him up for every single thing he did moving forward. He has been ostracized by almost every department in the county now, so he can't leave. He is uh, consistently given the worst schedule, and he cannot leave because they rely on health insurance and that salary. And he is stuck. And we just saw his wife a couple weeks ago. And she was saying, like, he is miserable, miserable. And um, my only hope is that the guys that feel like that somehow find a way to get out. I should, I should, you know, people, not guys, but anybody that's feeling that in law enforcement has a way to get out because I don't. I, I just don't want that. It's like you guys said at the start of the show, right? Like you're either a good guy who gets out or you're a good guy who stays in and becomes either ostracized or eventually down the road becomes part of the problem. And it's well, yeah, because you can, you can be a good guy your entire career, but if you could, if you turn a blind eye to yeah. the guys who he, aren't, well, you're even still once. Well, here's you're the, not a good even guy. One, yeah. Even once, even all it takes is one time for you to just be like, fuck, I need to do this, but I really need that promotion coming up because my wife and kids, I got to put my kid through. Like at that point, I don't think that guy thinks he's a bad guy, but he's just sold his soul to allow the bad guys to win. And it's like you, you, and of course that person on an individual basis, they're going to do whatever mental gymnastics they can to tell themselves that, that, that they're Uh really a good person and they're not bad. But I think that's where, where positions like ACAB come from. It's because eventually it gets to the point where you, you just, 
you can't say that. If you are participating in the system and you are aware of what the system is doing and you do nothing, you're as just as you are just as guilty of helping that system as the guys that are complete that are actually committing the crimes. Yeah, well, it's like it's like being a professional baseball player, right? <clears throat> like, okay, so so you you play for the Dodgers, right? And every single time the Dodgers hop on the bus and go into a new town, um, not all of them, only like a third of them, a third of the team goes out and, uh, you know, pops into the local bar and murders and rapes everyone inside. Now, there was a minority of you actually doing that. But if every single time that happens, everyone gets on the bus and like, I didn't fucking see anything. Oh, that guy had it coming. Oh, you know, he had a he, he tried to rape you first. Like every time that happens. Sure, maybe you don't have any blood on your hands, but it's like if you have gone to city after city after city and covering for guys or turning a blind eye and you and you don't leave the team and you're like, yeah, but the team pays me a lot of money. It's like I just and I hear that. And, and here's the thing. And I get it. I get how like losing a livelihood has got to be terrifying because let's face it, being a cop, even small town, big town, it usually pays pretty decently. It is not shit wages, which here's the thing. I'm actually okay with that. I'm okay with cops being paid enough where petty bribes don't count and aren't important. Like, I am okay with a cop not having to worry about paying his power bill. Like, I am totally at peace with that. Like, you want your public servants, especially those who are armed, to be living a life where somebody can't throw them a hundred bucks to do something stupid. You know, like, that's a good thing. The problem is, it then sets up this lifestyle well i got a mortgage and i got kids and i got this what am i gonna do it's like well I, it's, that's not my fucking problem like i'm really sorry that you joined the the you know the the roving rape squad but like figure it out and and maybe you have to have a smaller house maybe you have to rearrange your budget you know maybe you need to figure maybe you out gotta get rid of the path. boat and the new car and yeah and then maybe you're gonna too. go to trade school and become an electrician maybe you'll be a plumber i don't know figure it the fuck out but like again i just I don't care how much the Dodgers are paying you. If you're constantly riding the Dodger bus that ends up being the murder rape squad and you just go along with it, you're not one of the good ones. That's why it, there are no good ones because the whole fucking team is complicit. If you continue to hop on that bus and say, I'm one of them, then you're one of them. Like if you want to toss your fucking hat in with them, then you toss your fucking hat in with them. And so if you say, well, I don't do that shit, but I'm a cop and it's like, cool, but then you're a cop and I'm holding you accountable to what other cops do. Yeah. Yep. In for a penny in for a pound. Yeah. And, 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 and again, it's not like cops don't know this is going on. Like cops know what's fucking happening in the world. They're not fucking stupid. They're not, they're not, not on social media. They don't not have smartphones. Like cops know yeah. what's happening in the world because they're the ones who've been actively covering it up. Now white middle-class people are starting to catch on to what cops have been doing. The cops have known it the whole time. Um, yeah. And I mean, again, I got to tell you like stories I have heard from cops who were voluntarily not trying to tell stories about the horrors they've done have been horrifying. Cops, when they think they're being the good guys, can be horrifying. Mm -hmm. This isn't like, oh, we went out and shot people for fun. Ha ha. Like, no, none of that shit. But it's like, again, kind of like you're pulling people over and harassing trans people because they were trans and utilizing that state authority to do that. I, I don't think there's many cops who haven't participated in that one way or the other, whether they're the instigator or just the guy who didn't say anything while they were riding shotgun. Like, because they were a fucking P1, you know, whatever. Like, it doesn't matter where you're at on that list. 
part of it. And if you don't at some point say, I'm not going to play this fucking game anymore. Well, then you're in the game and you don't get to say I'm one of the good ones because you're not. Because if you're still receiving a paycheck, you're not one of the good ones. The good ones aren't receiving a paycheck anymore. Yeah, it was a. it was pretty eye opening. Just those short 10 days. I mean, I, that that's yeah. You, now you what about the fallout afterwards? Good. Yeah. So I, I got, gonna... I got two questions. First of all, I, I want to yeah. hear fallout from like dealing with the, the, the cops who are pissed at you in your town because of it. But before that, what was the fallout for your family? Like financially, like, I mean, you got a wife now, yeah. you just quit your fucking decent paying job who mm-hmm. I'm guessing you left another job to join. Yeah. Like, so how did you go from that, like, that excuse we always hear of, I can't afford to not be one at this point. Like, how did you make that? What did you do to, to make yeah. it to me? Um, I was really blessed, I guess, is the word. And uh, I had received a wrongful death lawsuit from my grandmother passing away from mesothelioma, which is ah. asbestos-caused mm. lung cancer. Yeah. And um, that's kind of like, actually, the the focal point of our podcast. It was uh, It was $600,000. And so I lived off part of that while I became a substitute teacher because my wife was a teacher. My twin brother is a teacher. And uh, I started substitute teaching and then went into a teaching credential and master's program and eventually did that. With my family, the fallout emotionally was much more damaging. Um, my wife grew up in a pretty uh, not unstable household, but they moved often. And there wasn't a lot of mm-hmm. stability with a home. And so she finally had kind of felt like, ah, this is going to be my husband. We're going to have this home. We're going to be safe. And I went home and was like, hey, I'm not going back. And so there's a lot for us to kind of unpack as a couple there of like, what does that actually look like? And she was wonderful and letting me talk about it. But even still, five years later, there's things that come up that I'm like, hey, this this actually happened. And I want to talk about this really quick because I'm starting to hear about it or I'm starting to think about it a little bit. Um, So that was one of the big fallouts. The town itself my wife always mentions, Hey, maybe we should move there. And I tell her like, I'll never move there knowing the officers that are in the town. Um, yeah. the 10 days that I was there, like you couldn't pay. Well, me and them knowing you. The yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Them knowing me. Um, the recruits that were going through with me, they heard about me leaving about an hour later. Cause the commander who kind of talked down to me, sent out an email and said, Hey, this recruits no longer going to be with us. So they text me and asked what was going on. And I explained to them how I was feeling. Uh, one of them left a couple weeks later and is now doing a different job. He's firefighting. And the other one left about another month after that. And he's in another department, I think in the East Bay, maybe. Um, coincidentally, the department that we worked for was a dual department. So it was police officers. And then about a year, once you're on the force, they send you to the firefighter academy and you're a dual department. So you sign up for your shifts, you know, for your rotation. Okay, for six months, you're in the firehouse or for six months, you're a cop. So um, the one who left to be a firefighter, he was already trained to do that. He was pretty well prepared for that. And I'm glad he's there. Um, but they lost a recruit in the class before us as well and a recruit in the class after us. So the psychologist who did all the testing for them called us and asked, hey, the department is kind of hounding me for picking the wrong guys. And I just need to know for my own business, was it some like, wh- what do you think? And I told him what straight went up, wrong? He's on- yeah, he's the only person I told straight up, like, no, it's the department. Like, they're not great, and uh, they've got some problems. And so he, you know, he thanked me. Um, about a year after that, one of my closest friends from high school, his other, his older brother was killed by the town. Um, the police showed up to him when he was having um, 
uh, I, I think some type of mental health issue crisis at one of the, yeah, crisis at one of the hotels there in town. And, uh, they tased him a couple times and, uh, I think he had a heart attack and passed away. And I, I think like hearing that and talking to my friend on the phone about it afterwards really kind of put into perspective, like, man, I, I could have been there in that department with those guys when that happened to his brother. And I would have felt so guilty. I mean, I, I mean, I knew his brother, like, it wasn't like it was just his older brother. I knew him. We had played basketball together. You know, we were, we were friends. And so for that to happen, uh, just a short while after I left it, it really like emotionally made me kind of beat up about it. And so I haven't really unpacked a lot of it. And that's kind of what spawned the Twitter thread the other day after the Uvalde shooting and, and the cowardice of the police there, knowing what I was trained in the academy to do with like active shooter situations i couldn't be silent anymore about like my experience as a cop uh so i decided to share it and then it yeah led me to you guys <laughs> well now well, thank I, you and, that, and that's a question i also have though is is so in in the aftermath of of the 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 texas school shooting like where does that comply with the training you received? And like, okay, so first of all, like, did they move with like, where you're like, oh, no, they totally fucked up and they were supposed to charge in and they didn't. Or was it no, that's exactly what they were supposed to do because of their training, not whether or not that was morally correct, but like, was that in training? And then also, like, did what happened surprise you at all? Um, you're totally right. Like that is not what you're trained. We have a video scenario in the academy. So you're not like an actual acting scenario. You're looking at a, you know, a screen and, uh, instructors behind you kind of changing what happens on the screen, but, uh, it's an active shooter situation in a school and you're looking down a hallway at a school that's, you know, like an indoor school and thousands of kids just start running. I should say hundreds, not thousands, hundreds of kids just start running at you and you are supposed to go into the hallway with your you know, Glock nine and clear this hallway and find this active shooter with a rifle and a, you know, an assault style rifle. And, um, that like, that's, you were, that was what we were all told. Like you, you signed up for this. You're going into that building. You're going into that school. So to hear the way that it's been spun since is like absolutely gross because like, how, how do you justify that again? Not even just morally, like morally, like you had a duty to respond but like for your training, you were supposed to go in there. So it made no, it made no sense to me. I think that's probably why I felt the need to kind of speak out. Cause I wanted, I wanted the people that follow me on Twitter to know that like, I'm not just some teacher spewing a bunch of shit. Like I'm somebody that had gone through an academy that was prepared to do this as a job. And I have a unique, I think a unique perspective on some of the issues in policing and particularly in arming teachers and the, narrative around school shootings um but yeah they were they were totally totally off base totally wrong with that so in, in your opinion as someone who has been like who's gone through police training and did all this and again signed up for the right reasons like tell me where they went wrong and what should have been done so like what did they fuck up on and like let's let's say you were the cat you, you were the fucking you know commander on scene what would what would you have done differently what should they have done I would be sending every single officer that has a weapon into the building. That's what I would have done. Like we did building clearing, you know, scenarios just like that. Like you're not waiting for a tactical team. You should have had enough training to at least engage an 18 year old in gunfire to potentially save kids. Like, yes, your life was going to be at danger. Yes. You might have 
been hurt or died. But if if you signed up, you're getting the hero's celebration of he laid down or she laid down their life and these beautiful 10-year-olds survived. And because of their failure to act, kids were slaughtered. Like I just, it, it doesn't even like process to me when I think about that, thinking through the training I had to go through. Now you guys talked in your episode with Stoffy. I mean, I heard his academy was like 12 fucking weeks or something or like Something some, like ins- it was yeah, a very I short was like, period of time. Yeah. I'm like, Oh my God. Like I couldn't even imagine that like 20 weeks, you know, was like a long time and you're ingrained in the idea of like, you're going in, you're going in, you're going in. 20 weeks isn't even that long. It's five months. No, no, it's really not. And you said a week of that wasn't even actual training. Like, so 19 weeks, four months, three weeks. Here's your gun. Good luck. Yeah. Like that boggles my fucking mind. And then you go and you talk about people like Staffy who had significant less training than that. Even It, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. You become an EMT and you've got to have six months worth of training. Yeah. Yeah. Like how how you how long do you gotta go to school to be a fucking teacher? Like years. Yeah, yeah my credential program was like eighteen months after my bachelor's degree. Yeah, yeah. after you'd already finished yeah. a degree. Yeah. 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 I, I used to be a phlebotomist. To become a phlebotomist, I had to go to school for a year and then I had to do my externship. And then to get licensed federally, I had to be working for six months. Um, without incident, like just to be able to stick a small needle in a vein and get a little bit of blood for testing. That was my requirement. Yeah. My goal is to be a social worker. I have finished my, my bachelor's is done. I'm now hoping to get into a master's program. That's going to take two years. It's going to be like a year internship. And this is to not have half the responsibility a police officer has. Yeah. Hey, I read the pamphlet and got my driver's license. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's uh it's it's bananas and so the the response from uh the officers at the uvalde shooting is just wildly wrong wildly wrong it's deplorable is what it is yeah and then you see the videos of the way they were treating the parents and they're you know this pseudo hard hardo thing of like well we had to secure the area it's like you weren't doing anything inside anyways there's a story of a mom running in there and getting her kids because you weren't doing anything like it, it it's just a massive, massive failure. And then the narrative after it is even more gross. Yeah. Oh, they're working hard to cover it up now. I mean, they've oh, stopped yeah. cooperating, oh, yeah. with, cooperating with federal uh, investigators. Like they, they're, they're locking down tight, not just the police mm-hmm. department, the fucking school board too. None of them want to yeah. cooperate with this because they all come out looking bad. All of them. Yep. Thousand percent. And, and it goes to show like what, what is going on here, right? Like it, it goes to show exactly what we're looking at with these guys and what, po- and again, not individuals talking about the departments as a whole, what is policing for? Because again, I think a lot of people go into it because they're like, fuck yeah, I'm going to fucking get, you know, bank robbers and I'm going to stop murderers and killers. And I'm going to protect my fucking community from the worst people. And it ends up coming down that like, no, that's not what police departments do. They protect private property and they protect the status quo. They keep social order, you know? And it's like, what were these cops doing at the school shooting? It's like, well, they staged and they secured the area and that's all they did because social order and the status quo is all that matters. And then as soon as anybody was like, hey, um, kids are getting murdered. We're going to go put a stop to that. Those people were met with violence. 
Mm-hmm. You know, those people were beaten into. I mean, there's the video of the guy sitting there with a fucking AR-15 on his chest and a fucking taser in his hand ready to fight the parents. And it's like, the fuck was that guy not doing in the school? Yeah, seriously. Against an untrained 18-year-old. Like, yeah. I, I get it if you're like, oh, shit, this is, you know, a former military operative that's in there lighting the place up. Like, this. You, Here's you the thing. You know what? If Those fucking... guys are never the ones that shoot, to be no, honest. Isn't that strange? But let's just say, let's just say we've got fucking Sergeant Big Dick Saw, who's got a fucking 30 <laughs> cal, and he's shooting up the school, and he's murdering. Sh- I got to tell you, I and I had a pocket knife. I'd go in. I, I'm not saying I'd win. I would probably super, super die. But, like, I would give his shit enough to give it a try. I don't know. Maybe maybe my tubby ass can sneak up on him and, and, and get him in the kidney or something, right? <laughs> you and are like, a ninja, by the way. I am. I am. I am discreet and subtle. But, like, that's the also, thing, though. Let's, let's like, keep in mind, though, like, just as a reminder to everyone, these fuckers literally had a drill on this very scenario two months before this shit went down. Two months prior. Where they Two months. passed. Like, they were drilled and inspected on how to handle this exact scenario, and they were given a pass on their handling in the drill. And then two months later, it fucking happens. And apparently everything that they learned or were spo- that they were supposed to do fucking just forgot. Well, and again, like we, you know, cops are given military equipment and I'm talking like, you know, UMPs, I'm talking fucking tanks, you know, we're not talking about you know, the, the Defense Authorization Act for that was, was supposed to be for things like desks and pencils and shit. And it ended up, you know, Bush made it weapons after 9-11. And so cops have fucking drones and fucking rocket launchers and fucking massive amounts of tear gas and fucking Any you know, military surplus. Can yeah, be massive military surplus weapons. And. The point of that was to equip them to deal with acts of terrorism, foreign and domestic, on our soil. Like, that was the point of it, was that, like, hey, and again, that happened here in, in L.A., in Southern California. We actually had, there was a very famous, called the North Hollywood Shootout. Um, and I'll bet most cops across the country have heard of this. And it was basically, you know, and this is one of those times where, like, the cops were trying to do the right thing. You know, you had a, a couple of guys who were just fucking head-to-toe comic book Iron Man body armor. Like they were looking like Iron Man out of the cave. It was level you know? three body armor, head to toe, yeah. literally. And so they're fucking up there with fucking fully auto M16s, not ARs. They had M16s shooting five, five, six. They had massive drum magazines, right? And these guys are—I mean, this is—it's straight out of a superhero movie. Like these guys are just lighting the fucking place up with machine gun fire, and the cops show up, and they've all got fucking Beretta nines, and 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 you know, class one vests. And it was like they were just so ridiculously outgunned that because of this, the LAPD started putting AR-15s in squad cars. And that went around the country a lot. We, you know, we have SWAT teams because the Black Panthers exist. Again, Bush expands military weapons to police departments to protect against acts of terrorism, which, let's face it, mass shooting is de- mass shootings are domestic terrorism. And we all agree yeah. on that one, right? Yeah. Yes. So <laughs> that's what this is for. Four, you know, and what do we ever see it used on? We never see this equipment being used on domestic terrorists. We constantly see be, see it being used on the body politic. All we see is the New York Police Department running people over with armored vehicles. And we see the LAPD launching, you know, revolving tear gas launchers at, at fucking crowds. And we see fucking uh, Albuquerque Police Department using fucking, um, using fucking MP4s to shoot homeless people. Like, all we ever see is this military equipment being used to contain 
harass, murder, or maintain authority over crowds or unsavory individuals. And every single time we get to a place where a cop might be hurt, all of a sudden now it's time to stop and pause. You know, when, when it when it's a, when it's a situation where the cop can overcome instantly with massive amounts of force and violence, it's always applied. And any time that might not be overwhelming force on the side of the police department, the policy is always stop and evaluate. Yep. It's it's so weird too because again, I know how our minds were in the academy. We would have lived for the opportunity to neutralize a threat, right? Like yeah, that be, was like you want to charge and be big damn heroes, right? That was the point. Exactly, exactly. And so you're thinking like that's these dinglings. They there's no way they didn't think the same. There's no way they didn't drink the same Kool Aid. So why did that all just go out the window? Like why why was that not the response? Well, and here's the thing: we, we get like there, there's a weird two sides to this coin too, because it's it's. In this situation, the reason action was not taken, and we know this, like this is clear, it's because they were terrified of getting shot, right? Yeah. But in so many of these cases where they fucking straight up murder black people, the go-to excuse is, he might have had a weapon and I was terrified of getting shot. So it's like, on one hand, we've got whole swathes of officers that are so terrified that they might be murdered that they're just straight up killing kids and people running away and, and, and people with, with Down syndrome or mental, mental health issues. And on the other hand, we have a whole crew of cops that is so terrified of getting shot that they won't take action to save the most innocent people in our society that need the most fucking protection. The thing that people generally expect cops to be willing to sacrifice for, these guys couldn't do it because they were so fucking terrified. The difference is, the difference for me is perceived threat versus actual threat. Mm -hmm. The the guy that they shoot in the street is a quote unquote perceived threat. And the kid with the AR is an actual threat. I mean, it boils down to cowardice. I mean, that's what it is one way or the other. It's cowardice. You know, yeah. uh, but it's also, and I think you highlighted this, Justin, it's also training as, a, as just a normal citizen. My expectation is that a cop is going to be trained to deescalate a situation. It should be, to my mind, when the cops show up, things are going to calm down and get better. But that's never how it happens. And now we know why, because from day one, you go into that academy and you are trained to escalate. You, you are trained that your life is what matters first and anything you have to do to protect your life is legal under the law. And again, I think we've, we might have one or two cops or ex cops out there, but like, let's just be clear. Does this apply all across the board? No, no situation is going to be a hundred percent, but I think we've learned as a society, especially now that the vast majority of cases, this is it. This is how it works. So mm-hmm. does at the end of the day, does it really matter if this particular precinct doesn't work that way when the 15 surrounding precincts all do? No, I don't think so. No. No, <laughs> not at all. So what's your takeaway from all this? Like if you could sum up everything we talked about from your experiences and, you know, the school shooting and in general, just everything we've talked about, like if you could if you could sum up your view because again we can we can the three of us can bitch all day long and we will and we do um but like <laughs> without we don't stop. have yeah we don't have the experience that you do though so like how would you sum this up in in several sentences 
and what you think I the think, problem with modern policing is in America. I think it goes back actually to kind of what we were talking about a, a while ago and that the cop will act when they recognize that they have all the power in the situation. And in that moment, they can dictate it to go left, right, or straight, whichever way they want, because they hold the power. They held the power in that traffic stop to use that type of language because those people didn't want a ticket. They held the power in the vehicle with me and told me that I was not a good recruit and they didn't want to work with me because he was already in the department. He was already vested. He knew he had the power in that situation. The power dynamic dictates everything in modern law enforcement. And that power and that drive for ego is not slowing down. And it's, it's scary. It's really scary. And obviously, again, I'm a white dude. Like, I have not faced persecution by the police. Communities of color have seen this for decades, and they've felt it for decades. And so my only experience with it has been the 10 days when I, that I was in there. I couldn't imagine living life like that under that power dynamic. That's really the issue, is that the power is so heavily one-sided that they get to act any type of way they want. It's it's just gross. Yeah, well said, man. Well, you know, thank you for being on here. Now, if anybody wants to, again, if, if you if you like Justin, you like what he had to say, think he's got a good attitude and a sultry voice, um, <laughs> and maybe what you also want to hear about how to thank fucking you, manage you. your goddamn finances. Where can people where can people interact with you and and your podcast? Yeah, you can uh, listen to our podcast at Price of Avocado Toast. Uh, on Instagram, my wife runs our Instagram account, and she's uh, a rock star. the The podcast, obviously, you can listen to anywhere you listen to podcasts. We talk about millennials and financial budgeting and all of that good advice. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, they're certainly welcome to follow me on Twitter at J Brown Woods. Uh, you can see the the police. Sorry, what was that Twitter handle? Kind of, uh, at J Brown Woods. I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you. What was that again? Oh. Uh, my Twitter handle is at J Brownwoods. Beautiful. So it's at J Brownwoods. I think it's at J Brownwoods. What do you yeah. think, Chris? Is that J-Brownwoods. the letter J or J A Y? Uh, that's the letter J. Yeah. So J Brown like the color, Woods like the forest. Beautiful. Right. Now, what about that? What about that Instagram handle? Uh, the Instagram is at Price of Avocado Toast. Oh, sorry, my shoe so was broken. Price... What was that? <laughs> at Price of Avocado <laughs> Toast. Beautiful. All right. And then for all you guys out there, we will have links uh, and ads in our uh, description for this episode. So if you want to check out Justin and his delicious avocado toast, which is obviously why him and his wife are probably poor and start are starving, you know, and can't buy yeah, a house because, yeah. you know. Um, fucking millennials. Yeah. Yep. Fucking A. <laughs> can't afford anything, I swear. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, please exactly. go go check them out. <laughs> go listen to their cast. Uh, you might find something you absolutely love, guys. And and Justin, thank you so much for being here, man. Like this was huge. This was it, it's rare anybody gets to like get that kind of a of a of a backstory as to like when when this shit doesn't go the way it normally does, like what's going on behind these closed doors that we don't get to see. So like, dude, that that was huge. Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Bottom of our hearts. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you guys for, for letting me come on. Honestly, like I, again, I haven't really been able to unpack a lot of it and kind of talk through it all. So to be able to sit and talk about it on Twitter and have the reaction that it, it got and the messages that I got from people who had experienced similar or who were just 
throwing me some support and then to be able to, you know, talk about it with you guys has been really um, dignifying. So I really appreciate it. it. It's, it's helped me on my journey already and I'm, I'm looking forward to how it can help me moving forward. So thank you. Awesome, man. And, and best of Thank luck you. to you guys on that one. Um, so everyone, please go check out Justin's stuff. Um, you're going to like it. He's a good dude. Um, and um, thanks for being here with us. I know this is a longer episode, but I think yeah. you're going to like it. I think this was a good one. I think it was worth it. Oh, Stoffy. Thank you again, Stoffy. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Like, cause like th- this all happened because Justin had his Twitter thread and we've shouted We had Stoffy on the show. We've shouted him out a bunch of times, but he's always got our back and he's always shooting us lines on cool stories, cool things. And the only reason this happened is because Stoffy tagged us in this post and then Chris reached out to Justin and, and we made this happen. So, um, any other listeners, you know, we appreciate that kind of feedback. I think we made no secret that, you know, we do try to engage with you guys whenever we can. And we, we love hearing from you and, and, uh, and and to be fair, Justin fucked up. Um, he answered the DMs, and so uh, now <laughs> yeah, now I'm stuck listening to your guys' podcast. I'm yeah. hooked. I'm like, well, oh my god, that, I'm going to be indoctrinated by these guys. Yeah. Now any anytime there's an A cab related topic, we're gonna make yo yo. You want to be on the show this week? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. so, welcome god, to guys, being harassed. Guys, I'm losing it though, man. Can can we just next week talk about the politics of puppies and unicorns? Because fuck, I'm getting depressed. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, but this is an it. American podcast. <laughs> the empathy you want to go to, if you want to go to finland go ahead <laughs> <laughs> so anyway thank you for being here with us guys we love you all um and uh it's a crazy fucked up world and thanks for joining us with it and please take care of yourselves take care of each other and remember the revolution is you <laughs>